0: Star Wars about a dozen times. Of Star Wars, times. 17 times. Star Wars, uh, 24.
1: 40 times and it was great each time. 41 times. About 57 times.
0: You can never get too much of Star Wars. I, I've seen the first Star Wars 153 times.
1: All together, we have seen Star Wars 324 times. May 1977, a legion of fans are already waiting when Star Wars opens at Hollywood's legendary Chinese theatre. Similar record-breaking crowds gather at the openings in Australia and England. But perhaps the true measure of the film's success can be taken by assessing its power to touch the lives of its viewers. It isn't so much that the film set box office records wherever it played, but rather that it played such a large role in the lives of many who came to see it. They came and they waited for Star Wars and for each of the two sequels that followed. In city after city across America, the same scenario was repeatedly played out. People will camp out overnight to see the Rose Parade. And um, this is worth at least three times as good as the Rose Parade, so we're here for three times as long. (laughs) We've been here for six days and it's great!
0: Everywhere. Welcome to episode number 174 of Blast Points. This is Jason and this is Gabe. We are going to be going into the very early days of Star Wars fandom, the fascinating secret history of Star Wars fanzines, how it shaped everything that the crazy world of Star Wars fandom is today. Back when there used to be stuff called paper. <laughs> You would hold it up to your face and read words off of it. It it was like a phone, but you couldn't turn it off. You just had to put it away. It was was like the thinnest cell phone you've ever seen. But first, before we get into that, we've got an update. We've got a news update from last week. It was a Star Wars miracle, right? So if you remember last week in the Jar Jar Renaissance episode, we were talking all about how the Ahmed Best on location things from Attack of the Clones were impossible to find, right? I think that's what we said. Yeah, that there was maybe one on YouTube, but where were all the rest of them? Before Episode 2 came out, there was a great series of little mini documentaries on StarWars.com. It was like On Location, I think it was called, and it was Ahmed Best going around interviewing people. Yeah, it's a shame there's a, a treasure trove of these behind the scenes things that are hiding somewhere. Hopefully Lucasfilm will put them back out, or somebody has them on a VHS tape somewhere and they can get them up on get them up on YouTube. A listener out there, Matthew Turbo. He's at Turbo 1975 on Twitter. He's in Sydney, Australia. He was listening to the show, and somewhere he was like, I you know what? I think I have a CD-ROM with all those Ahmed Best on vocations saved on it somewhere and over the course of a day he got the CD-ROM figured out how to play a CD-ROM on a in a 2019 computer got all the Ahmed Best on vocation clips uploaded to YouTube and then like later that day like Ahmed Best is on Twitter saying he's watching the clips it's a weird weird world we live in here <laughs> This is what it's all about. Spreading the love, sharing the love of all this Star Wars craziness. Somebody's got it. And now with the magic of computers, we can all share in that the joy of discovering these things that you may have never seen or you haven't seen for 19 years. See them again for the first time. Those um, Ahmed Best on Location videos. So we're going to do sometime. This year, and a whole episode dedicated to nothing but those videos because they are so good. I marathoned them all. I don't know the the George Lucas at the the craft service. What is he? What is Lucas eating? Is it a piece of celery? I thought it was just like a full on big piece of celery. For some reason, I thought it was like a thing of salami with like something in the middle of it, like a rolled salami thing.
1: It's snack time here on episode two. Everybody's working hard, everybody's busting it. It's getting dark. And when it gets dark, what happens? Food. You got to eat some food. You got to do some food. And the first person at the food is. Hello. First person. I'm checking it out to make sure it's sufficient for the crew. What a director. He is directing the catering. How does one direct catering? That's about the size of it. That's how one directs catering. Is it any different directing actors than directing catering? That's good enough. That's good enough. Do you have to yell action to the food or does the food just happen? You're scaring everybody away. Nobody's going to eat as long as you're here.
0: It's just when we thought the Carrie Fisher interview was the best you could get with Lucas, now we have Ahmed Best getting him to eat food on camera. So, Star Wars miracle. Yes. To so thank you again, Matthew Turbo, out there in Australia, you uh, you brought hope to those who have none, and you brought warm feelings to our heart. You were meant to help them. <laughs>
1: The Force is with us again. Return of the Jedi has opened here in New York. It's playing at the low Astor uh, Plaza Theater, among other places, and that's where Ed Miller is standing by live with all the people who are waiting to go into the 5:20 uh, show. Ed, how is it? Uh, Ernie, they started selling tickets here at the Lowe's Astor Plaza at 8:30 this morning, and even in that early hour, the line was five football fields long. That's five across. If they would have been single file, they would have been standing all the way to New Jersey. The very First person in line was a teenage boy. He started standing Sunday at midnight, and uh, the theater felt sorry for him, so they let him in for free. But the rest of these people are shelling out cash like it's going out of style.
0: Well, it's hard to imagine nowadays, but there, there was a time in Star Wars fandom history before the internet a <laughs> more civilized age <laughs> before, the, before the dark times i don't know i don't know as you you know that's one thing we're going to get into as we explore these these early these these prehistoric times of star wars fandom not much has changed out there folks <laughs> people seem to think everything's new oh this is the first time this has ever happened no before the internet, before there was Tumblr blogs, before there was Star Wars podcasts, people endlessly talking about everything. B- back in the day when there was not even just three movies or even just two movies, even when there, when there was just one Star Wars movie, and maybe you heard a rumor that a TV special with Wookiees was coming later, <laughs> there was a very active, very vocal Star Wars fandom From the very beginning and that that whole fandom pretty much existed in fanzines, Star Wars fanzines. If you got the Star Wars fever, you got to talk about it because you're thinking about it all the time. And if there's no one nearby to talk about, what are you going to do? Right. You can't just can't afford to call people long distance on the phone all the time. You got to write letters. You got to you want to read what everybody else has to say, because that's what people do. And how are you going to do it? Type some stuff up, right? Photocopy it. Or what did they, they didn't have photocopiers then, right? You had the those like ditto machines or like how would you even – I don't even remember how you used to do it before copy machines. I think there were copy machines, but I think it was just colossal pain to to make it work. I mean – Well, don't you remember what, when we were in elementary school, There was they had the machine that was like a copier, but <laughs> – like the ink would come out really <laughs> wet and it was stinky. A very long time ago. <laughs> I'm not crazy. There was a Ditto machine and it had stinky ink, but it does look like Xerox machine came out in the in the 70s and laser printers and things came out in the late 70s. So maybe you could find a print shop that had a copy machine and you didn't have to. Because I think the Dittos were like blue. It was like blue ink. Oh yeah, I seem to remember that, like in grade school. But I'm sure you would find some Star Wars fanzines that had blue ink. All the all the Beru fanzines had uh, blue ink. All the any one of the twenty Star Wars fanzines called Blue Harvest. They were strictly Ditto. So let's back it up to that that mysterious time, the BSW time, as we know it, uh, before Star Wars. And there were always sci-fi fanzines going way, way, way back, going all the way back even to like the 1930s where science fiction was kind of, for a lot of literary circles, it was designated in like pulp magazines and like anthologies where you'd have multiple short stories by sci-fi authors and a small kind of digest kind of magazine book. They're still out there today. But you have, like, a lot of aspiring writers who were not invited to write in these magazines. And they were like, you know what? I'm going to make my own sci-fi pulp magazine. And they would publish them themselves, hoping they would get noticed and go pro, basically. And it was all done even, you know, through the 1940s, 50s, 60s, all very do-it-yourself, cut-and-pasting things together, publishing their own works. And a lot of these just didn't last very long. A lot of people had, like, grandiose ideas and it wasn't able to last any long because, honestly, it's a lot of work. And it was expensive. And there's, like, no money to be made from these at all. But you'd you'd think that, like, um, no one ever got anywhere from it. But people, some of the people that were doing this were folks like uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Robert E. Howard, William Gibson, Roger Ebert had his own zine at one time. So... A lot of these people that were just like, I've got to get people to go out there and read my stuff, were totally just going out and doing it themselves in the very beginning. And finally this evening, if you don't know what a
1: hundred-year-old Wookiee is, he or it is seen here on the left, chances are you're going to find out. Douglas Kiker reports. Star Wars. Star Wars. It is more than just a successful movie, it is a box office phenomenon. The film is breaking attendance records all over the country. Not since Jaws have so many people stood in line to see a movie. A cowboy movie set in space, that's Star Wars. It's old-fashioned, escapist entertainment, pure and simple. And it appears this is what just about everybody in the country is in the mood for.
0: So these are going along, these, these sci-fi fanzines are moving along, and then the late 60s, kind of early 70s, whole sci-fi fanzine culture was hit with a bomb that was Star Trek. Star Trek came along, and <laughs> I don't think sci-fi fandom had ever had anything at that time in the early 70s, mid-70s, when Star Trek kind of hit syndication- was had had the appeal of Star Trek and took it to like whole other levels where you had people just dedicating entire fanzines about Spock and <laughs> the whole kind of concept of of shipping and slash and fan fiction slash fiction of like Kirk Spock romance started coming up because you got to remember Star Trek would hit syndication in those 7 in the 70s and there was almost no Star Trek product anywhere. And people were just watching it at home, freaking out, getting obsessed over it, and kind of wondering, am am I crazy? Am I the only person that's into this? So, like, I mean, you can only imagine, like, it's 1974. You're watching syndicated reruns of Star Trek. Freaking out. You have no clue if you are the only person that likes this show or not. (laughs) you can just ask people at the grocery store and hope somebody knows what you're talking about there's there's no there's no internet there's no like fan community there's no I'm in a google search and oh wow look at all these other people i mean maybe you could go to like your local comic book store or like a hobby shop or something maybe you could hear about there's a convention in a nearby town or there's like a comic con or a sci-fi con in a town and maybe you could go there And you could experience that there are other people That are into this weird thing You're into but that's that's You'd have to get pretty lucky to even To have that happen and Then Let's say you do go to this let's say you do end up going To like a, like a sci-fi convention or a comic Convention a lot of these Conventions would have Fanzine rooms Where you'd go in there and it would Just be filled with like Shelves of Sci-fi star trek fanzines and let's say you're flipping through it and you're like hey these people are talking about star trek the way i talk about it or they're asking the questions i thought only i had and then in the back of some of these fanzines there would be contact info for if you like this you should check out these other fanzines and here's the person you can write to to get to them or here's the addresses of other fans if you want pen pals If you just want other people to talk about with this nerdy, weird, bizarre thing that you're into, it really was like, before you know it, you're part of something bigger. You've entered a fandom. You've entered a club, a group of people where it's like, come on, come join us.
1: William Shatner stars as Captain Kirk and Leonard Nimoy as science officer Spock.
0: On Star Trek in color. So then in May of 1977, along comes Star Wars. And shortly after May 77, the first Star Wars fanzines begin to start popping up. One of the first ones was called uh, Hyperspace that actually came out in June of 77. So that person was right on top of it. They were traveling... Through hyperspace at light speed to get that zine out. They <laughs> are writing it in the theater while they watched it. There was another one that came out right away in 77 called The Force. And a lot of these early Star Wars fanzines that came out, were, it seemed they were very character focused. There was like, this whole fanzine is dedicated to nothing but Han Solo. Or this fanzine is dedicated to nothing but Luke Skywalker all we're talking about is princess Leia or all we're talking about is Vader and the empire. It's like people, everyone honed in on what their jam was in star Wars. And it's fascinating because a lot of these like early ones, we talked about it a lot. Like what that must've been like. Cause we we were too young to, we were there, but we were too young. But like people were making up their own history for the Jedi and the Sith. Cause you only had that first movie. It's still mind-boggling, because to, 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 to even to watch a new hope today and try and take all that history that's now in our brains away, and just watch that movie. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to try to figure out in your mind, to just make it all <laughs> make it all fit together in your head. What is all this stuff? What are they talking about? Clone Wars, What does that even mean? We we should say right here, before we get too far, that a lot of, not even a lot, I'd say like 95 to 99% of these Star Wars fanzines, just like the Star Trek fanzines before them, but especially going into Star Wars, were 100% made by women. Yeah, why, why are they trying to make Star Wars for girls now? <laughs> you know that disney era i like it in the, the olden days when when there weren't girls that liked star wars once you start researching this and reading all the stuff that was written 40 years ago sometimes by nothing but women it's like it's just i mean yeah those same people that are like they they just brought in ray and jin to get the women, you know get women into you know those yeah it's just yeah those people have absolutely no clue what they are talking about whatsoever <laughs> women have been a crucial vital part of star wars and star wars fandom since 1977 and yeah so people just they don't know what they're talking about <laughs> I mean, there were still nerdy, trolly guys out there, but much like today, it's uh, um, some of the women in fandom that have some of the most interesting, refreshing voices and aren't just pounding their fists on a table mad, mad because things didn't go the way they wanted it to or something. Right. They're taking time to sit back and actually think about what really happened and not just complain about what didn't happen that they wanted. So as we reached kind of towards the end of 1977, a lot of the Star Trek fanzines that were out there started including Star Wars content into their zines, which didn't go over too well (laughs) with a lot of the Star Trek fans. Imagine that. Star Trek and Star Wars fans not getting along. (laughs) Being very critical of the the other side of the fence. Never. Never. So the the fanzine Spectrum 44, which before that was primarily sci-fi with a lot of Trek, had one issue with Luke Skywalker on its cover. And it, it had this to say about Star Wars. Behold the fandom of Star Wars. Even as you read this, this new fandom for Star Wars is developing and growing. A fandom some people see as just a fluke and others see as a replacement for Star Trek fandom. Which someone then commented, Trek is doomed, and Star Wars is its killer. With others commenting, Star Wars will pass eventually, and we will, and it will be remembered as just another movie. And Trek will still be there. Dreams pass in time. I'd much rather dream of Star Trek. <laughs> we can all get along, people. It's all fine. Yeah. It's all good stuff. Star Trek and Star Wars, you know, and that's another episode we'll have coming up one day. It's a a symbiotic relationship. What happens to one affects the other. It always has been that way. They're both half star. It's all fine. It's fine, people. It's (laughs) fine. (laughs) So some of these, there's so many Star Wars fanzines that are now popping up. because It's starting to prove that it's not just another movie. The movie just keeps playing. People keep going to see it. People start freaking out. There were so many good names of Star Wars fanzines at the time where it's like when I saw the list of names of Star Wars fanzines that came up, I was like, where was this list when we were trying to figure out a name for the podcast? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> there's a resource right there. There's so many. good. Ones. So the Alderaan is one. So Comlink. The Jedi Quarterly. The Junlin Waste. The News of the Rebellion. Bloodstripe. Children of the Sith, the Cloud City Freezing Chamber, the Corellian Chronicles, one of my favorites, Echo 7, the Falcon's Flight, Force Whisperer. So by 1979, Star Wars was having its first fan conventions, real small-time kind of things in like an Elk's Lodge or something, and the first ever Fan Q Awards for zines took place. Star Wars zines took home two big awards and a name that's going to come up later in this episode, Maggie Nawakoska won for her Star Wars stories titled Thousand Worlds Collected. And then even later in, in 1990, a person, Judith Yasner, established the Star Awards to recognize writers, fanzine editors in Star Wars fandom and even within star wars zine the whole star wars zine thing there was a guy john bradley snyder he did a zine called growing up star wars and if that name sounds familiar he later went on to be like the editor of the golden age of star wars insider and i think when we talked to sand didn't he actually name star wars celebration oh that might have been yeah
1: As any Star Wars addict knows, it's not the actors, it's the special effects that steal the show. And a lot of people have been wondering whether the producers could top the technical razzle-dazzle of the original Star Wars. They have. The movie is filled from beginning to end with elaborate special effects, such as this battle between the good guys and the bad guys, armed with huge walking tanks. Go now. The movie is pure escapism, no big social message. But these days, with the way the world is, there is a lot to escape from. So it's a good bet that many Americans this spring will be going to that galaxy, long ago and far, far
0: away. And so we got to give a huge shout out to Dr. An- Annalise Ophelian and the Maggie Nawakoska again for helping us immensely with the research for this and letting us peek into the sacred Jedi texts of ancient (laughs) Star Wars fanzines, Dr. Annalise Ophelian, the name sounds familiar. She is creating the documentary looking for Leia, which cannot wait to watch when it comes out. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes. So she let us view with the help of Maggie Nowakaska, who creates a, a huge exhibit, where we're of a lot of these zines she let us view some of the actual zines we got to we got to touch the sacred jedi text we went to go into the jedi tree we couldn't we couldn't take them on the falcon we had to stay in the tree to examine them but and we had to burn the tree when we were done <laughs> <laughs> yes we did <laughs> but we could we can talk about some of the things that we saw in these incredible incredible star wars fanzines that go from 1977 all the way into past return of the jedi um gabe what were some of the what were some of the highlights and standouts in in these in these zines for you well one that jumped out to me that was cool is someone basically had a instructions to kind of build your own lightsaber from stuff you would find at a hardware store which i thought was fun because i did that myself like before attack of the clones came out i went to the home depot and made a lightsaber out of plumbing things and looking at this zine from the mid-70s it's like it's the same thing that i built in 2002 basically so it's it was cool that people were thinking about this and and you know figuring out how to explain this to other people way back then Um, also it's just always fun to read people's Reviews of the films. Like, there's a whole bunch of zines of just reviews of Return of the Jedi and what people thought of the movies and what they thought is going to happen in seven, eight, and nine, or what's going to happen in one, two, and three now that four, five, and six are done. It's just, it's crazy to think of, you know, this is, it's 1983. It's the same as 2019. Every, you know, Star Wars fans are the same. They're thinking about the same stuff and obsessing over the same. Little bits of information trying to figure out what's coming next or what it all means. Here's some here's some hot takes, some hot rumors, some spoilers for revenge of the Jedi. Get ready. Vader is definitely Luke's father. Vader's definitely lying about being Luke's father. Leia is definitely the other. Yoda will have a confrontation with the Emperor in Revenge of the Jedi. Alec Guinness embodied the Emperor, different, eye, different eyes matted in and a different voice dubbed. Oh, this is good. In Revenge, Darth will turn away from the dark side and sacrifice his life while doing something to help Luke. Thereafter, he will join Obi-Wan as Luke's mentor, helping him defeat the Emperor, who is the real villain. They were on, like, where were their sources? <laughs> Probably David Prowse. <laughs> <laughs> that that person was David met David Frost on a train or something this is really good Boba Fett is the other not only that but Boba Fett is really Luke's father (laughs) oh some things never change supposedly part of the reason Jeremy Bullock was picked for the role is because he resembles Mark Hamill they they still got one movie left there's still a chance (laughs) not only that but Boba Fett will kill Vader in Revenge we won't find out who the other is in Revenge. I feel like people were, like, obsessing over, no, there is another. Yeah, I think I'm kind of grateful that I was a, a small child at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I was at least spared the three years of trying to figure out who the other was. But imagine that. Imagine in The the Last Jedi, you know, if someone was like, there is another the other was the Who is Snoke of 1982. It is. Yeah. <laughs> this one's really, really good. In Revenge of the Jedi, Luke and Leia will get married, uh, and Ricky Schroeder will play their son. <laughs> what? Here we are, face to face, a
1: couple of silver spoons.
0: Well, that reminds me, there's a little comic strip panel someone drew in one of these that kind of blows my mind it's han holding his child talking to leia and his child has a darth vader mask on and a lightsaber and leia says well dear i think it's time for your talk with uncle luke and it's like this is from 1983 and it's basically the sequel trilogy in like one little Comic panel. They knew. Maybe it was J.J. J. Abrams that drew the drew the panel. We don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was Jeff. It was that Jeff Abrams. <laughs> there, there's a fascinating article in here in um, the Junlin Waste, issue 1516 from September 1983 by Patricia Nussman. And she's talking about uh, that Lucas says he's going to take two years off after Jedi, and that he may or may not go ahead with Episodes 1, 2, and 3. She says she does not care if if he makes those movies. She would rather see him go forward with Episodes 7, 8, and 9. We will never get to know about Luke's further adventures, not the least of which is Yoda's command to pass on to the other. Still talking about the other, which what he has learned. I could cry, she writes, when I think about the premature end of this fantastic story. She, people love these characters and we willing, would, would willingly pay for the privilege of watching them grow. Oh, man. Just had to be patient. Yeah. <laughs> It is it is sad to know that if Lucas films episode seven, Luke's character may not ever reappear. Hmm. How did she know? I really want to know what happened to Luke after Return of the Jedi. I want to see Luke use his Jedi training and pass on his skills to the other. Hmm. I do not want Luke's story to end here. In my opinion, the Skywalker character is the most interesting to appear in science fiction in quite a while. The history of his galaxy was profoundly affected by the members of one family. That is what I call an epic. It's just, you know, you think about that and then you think about in a matter of months, we've got something called The Rise of Skywalker coming out. (laughs) The epic conclusion to the story of this family. Nine movies about this one family but it's cra- it's crazy cuz you go through like some of these zines some of the information in them and there's there's a whole article called in defense of ewoks there's a de- there's a deep discussion about mary sues in <laughs> star wars these are the same kind of stances the same things people are talking about today over and over again but it this was back in the 1980s. Well, and it's extra good because it's like one of the themes of Star Wars films themselves is how things, there's cycles and things happen over and over again the same way. And sometimes you make a different choice. Star Wars fandom is the same thing. It's the same thing over and over again. And it's up to you to make the right choice (laughs) and not the wrong choice. (laughs) The other thing with these is great too, is that there's, they're packed with fan art. Like, Fan art is a big thing in fandom now and has always been. And way back here, you know, people got their ballpoint pen out and they drew Han Solo with a hairy chest on some notebook paper and they got it in a zine. So there's a lot of really, really good looking stuff and there's a lot of crazy stuff. And it's just, there's just something fun about fan art because it's like, it's drawn by people, even if they don't know how to draw they just love this character so much that they have to just, they have to get something out of their body onto paper. And that's never really changed. I have to draw a sand person. Right. It's the only way to sleep at night is to just draw this picture of a sand person so I can get it out of my head. <laughs> I can't stop drawing Tusken Raiders. I gotta draw Uncle Owen. <laughs>
1: Movies are great. Just want to see the movie. I'm gonna see it before everybody else does. They <laughs> spend a lot of money on it, so we see the special effects in it. The movie itself costs five bucks a head. This particular theater holds sixteen hundred people, and so far today, many of them are trying to sit through it for a second showing. If you have tickets already, please join the ticket holders line times square there were more than 500 people in line shortly after midnight as the morning approached the lines got much longer by two this afternoon the theater's 25 extra security guards had their hands full you're a big fan obviously yes yes you have a job did you skip work today or what uh no i didn't skip work today (laughs)
0: Things weren't all totally awesome with Star Wars fanzines in this early days of Star Wars fandom. In 1978, in an article in The Zine Scuttlebutt by Allison Dyer, she's writing that the Star Wars Corporation wants to keep track of all the Star Wars fanzines. She said they're not out to hassle, sue, et cetera, anybody. They just want to convince The 20th Century Fox legal department, there are more than five Star Wars fans who are interested in publishing zines. If you're publishing a zine, they would like to know about it. And then they give you information for Craig Miller, who at the time, as we all know, was the fan relations at Lucasfilm. And then in 1982, Maureen Garrett, who is the director of the Star Wars fan club, sent warning letters to the the fanzine Guardian which was a mixed Star Wars Trek zine that had a very R-rated Star Wars fan fiction story in it. It was a Han Leia story called Slow Boat to Bespin, and it was written by Linda Denaroff, and I think the art was by Cynthia Leving. It was from May of 1981. and Basically, what Maureen from the fan club was saying, the Star Wars Corporation at that time was trying to we've been allowing this for a while we've been getting all these fanzines but you cannot do basically pornography <laughs> which uh, fans protested uh saying it was uh it was censorship and there was it was a very hot topic for a while that well why can't we write about and do about do whatever we want with Han and Leia why can't we do slowboat to Bespin as a result, uh, slash fiction zines became for Star Wars became rarer and rarer, until they had a bit of a resurgence uh, with Phantom Menace, which is interesting. But then it was it was mostly online at that point. The whole kind of thing had moved online. But you can't help what you love. It's amazing to think that, like, <laughs> like you said, we were we were kids. I, this was not on our radar going to see Return of the Jedi in 1983. And it's it's so fascinating to know, though, that this existed. Yeah, that there were people in the theater with us that had probably read all the fan stories leading up to Return of the Jedi. They were just excited as we were, but for different reasons. People with their own... It probably extremely complex, convoluted ideas about how Boba Fett was the other. <laughs> right. Somehow, somebody probably already knew about Snoke, and they Snoke was the other. But that theory still makes sense because Palpatine probably coordinated that whole thing. Is what happened? Because Palpatine's the other. Claude is the other. <laughs> Claude with a K, uh, K K-L-A-U-D. It's the last time to get the other in and make it right. (laughs) That's what Laura Santeca was talking about. They were going to make it right. We're finally going to find out who the other is, and it's Claude. The other he spoke of is Claude. I'm just here to help. (laughs) Did somebody say my name? (laughs) Come sliming around the corner. Some people call me the other. But I'm just Claude. <laughs> Did anybody want a free roll-up? <laughs> I'd bring a box, but I don't have any hands. Maybe you could get me one and feed it to me. Please. <laughs> so all these fanzines, you know, they're all sending their copies to Lucasfilm for years and years and years and years. We're past Return of the Jedi now. And at some point, Lucasfilm was like we can't take these anymore. We're running we're running out of space. So Lucasfilm offered them up to fandom. And the late Ming Mathine, I think is is how you pronounce her last name. She was a cosplayer, a writer and author of her own Star Wars fanzine called Bright Center of the Universe. So she came into taking all of lucasfilm's massive collection of star wars zines and offered her garage for a fan collection as like like a a library of all these star wars fanzines which she had way more than three thousand star wars fanzines and she called this garage library of hers the corellian archive and people started sending ming their fanzines, then, to be a part of the Corellian Archi- Archive. And also, just, just keep in mind, this is, I think this is like 1984, 85. Again, <laughs> we were still kids. And the Corellian Archive existed in a garage somewhere. <laughs> we didn't even know. We didn't know anything. We thought we knew so much, but we knew so little about what was out there. Whatever happened to the... The Corellian Archive. Unfortunately, Ming passed away in, two, in the year 2000. Well, it is now part of the Special Collections Department at the University of Iowa Library. It's the first major collection of zines to be saved and preserved as part of their Fan Culture Preservation Project. And who is curating the, the collection of zines? Maggie Nowakaska, whose name has come up several times already in this episode— She's curating it, and people are still making Star Wars fanzines. I don't know, are they still ending up in the University of Iowa's library? I don't know. When are we taking a field trip out to the University of Iowa to, <laughs> to view the ultimate collection of Je- sacred Jedi texts? But It's not that far from Illinois. It's, it's the next state over, Jason. In the written word
1: lies much of the human record books, journals, and manuscripts document and carry our intellectual heritage from generation to generation. Libraries and archives share responsibility for preserving the past and ensuring the future. The Parks Library at Iowa State University is making every effort to preserve that legacy.
0: It's like we've been saying this whole episode. You look at the stuff they were writing about, the stuff they were asking questions about, the stuff they were obsessing about. And you look at the Star Wars podcasts today, you look at blogs, you look at everything out there. Star Wars on Twitter and people endlessly debating and yelling at each other and asking questions and making friends and being feeling like they're part of a bigger fandom. The roots of all this... And how to do this and how this was all created 40 years ago by a group of people, 99% women, creating their own Star Wars fanzines just in part to spread Star Wars fan culture when there was none. Right. It really is the Sacred Jedi text. It's like it literally is paper in a binder in a tree with all this history on it that writes down the rules of what you're you know, of how this is all gonna go, thousands of generations in there, <laughs> the original Jedi texts, just like me, they're the last of the Jedi religion. it's the same spirit, it's the same energy as everything that goes on today and nothing's new you know (laughs) well right because it's the good and the bad too like there's you know and you read the reviews of return of the jedi and there's people who love it and there's people who think it's terrible and there's people complaining about the quality of other people's fan stories and and trying to put rules for what you should you know this this is a good fan story this is a bad fan story like there was always there was always people complaining and there was always people spreading the love well and like the most important thing i think is there was fans meeting other fans and coming together and like we said in the beginning someone would pick up one of these fanzines and be like i like the way this person talks about star wars and they would read that fanzine and have a connection with the person writing it and you know that's what star wars podcasts do today you know like you find your voice that you that people connect with and and then maybe that will inspire someone else to create their own Star Wars podcast. And I the chain and the circle, it's it's still going. The force is forever. I think that's <laughs> I think that's the moral. Yeah. Star Wars is forever obsessively thinking about this ridiculous universe is forever. Wanting to talk to anyone who will listen about it is forever. <laughs> Even people that don't want to listen about it. <laughs> We've all been there. Yeah. for a stormtrooper? I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm
1: here to rescue you. Luke's just not a farmer, Owen. He has too much of his father in him. I want to learn the ways of the Force and become a Jedi like my father. The Force will be with you. Always. Star Wars. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested.
0: Now playing at a theater near you. Yeah, since we're talking all about fanzines and fan stuff, we have some fan stuff here. We have what a poem and a Blast Points song. I'm in the mood for some poetry first. What's, <laughs> what's our poem here, Gabe? So, in, in honor of uh, Star Wars Celebration and Phantom Menace Year, uh, Lawrence Fish wrote a poem about Rats Tyrell. It's entitled The Boonta Eve Classic. Time slows before a fiery blast. Rats Tyrell is granted clarity. This Boonta Eve will be his last, his life the cost of temerity. To win, one must risk life and limb, and Rats has dared to dream. He made his move, the outcome grim. He doesn't recognize his scream his past now flicks across his view rat sees aileen his child and wife would fate allow he'd start anew trade these thrills for simpler life he'll live in hearts and minds and lore and fondly retold stories but never will rat hold his son is this what they call glory the mon Espa crowd spring to their feet They cheer, commiserate, and bray. Rat's wife grips tight to edge of seat, too terrified to turn away. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Lawrence Fish. Yes, thank you. Bringing a little culture to the show. There's always time for pod racing poetry. There's there's not enough of it. Next, we have um, a song. It's a Blast Point song. Written by Ben Foster. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and check that out. I said, he count to me. What you listening to? Set blast
1: points. Oh, master cold breaker, man. What you listening to?" Blast torrents, love it, blast.
0: Unbelievable! All right, so <laughs> you don't you don't hear that every day. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ben. Sorry, iTunes reviews, which we can't. I don't think we can really call them iTunes reviews anymore. I think it's like Apple. It's like Apple Podcast reviews now. I guess maybe we can call them iTunes reviews a little while longer. Let the past die. Uninstall it if you have to. Well, we've got a couple reviews here on whatever it's called with the apples and the podcast uh what's what's our what's our first one here gabe so the first one here is called co bibble loves this podcast by jim punch fist who was one of my favorite masters of the universe characters i had him and i had Stinkor. (laughs) I spent so many hours playing with punch fist yeah he was good he had a beard he was really good so jim says look i listen to a lot of star wars podcasts I basically, without really meaning to, live, breathe, and think about Star Wars about 65% of my day. These guys are excellent. There's a personal element to the show that is woven into insight of different aspects of Star Wars that even diehard fans may have never heard of. It's fun, it's funny, it's informative, and it's one of the best Star Wars podcasts out there, hands down. It's two dudes who absolutely love Star Wars and their excitement is palpable. I love it. I love them. Great job, guys. I love it. I love that yeah. review. Thank you, Jim Punchfist. It's very nice. Thanks, Jim. So our next one is from Megan 9 or was it Megan H9, maybe. It's titled New Listener, and she writes, "This podcast is just a delight. They're knowledgeable and have such a positive influence and impact on the fandom. I highly recommend this to any fan." Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, Megan. And if you want to leave us a review like Megan Nine did and Jim Punchfist, just go over there on whatever it's called and write something and we will read it like we did both of those. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. 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 Hi, J.J. Abrams here. On behalf of the entire cast and crew of Star Wars Episode 7, thank you. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall I play Harrison on Star Wars Rebels and you're listening to blast points with Jason and Gabe may the force be with you always and these blast points too accurate for sand people only imperial stormtroopers are so precise
0: out our website blastpointspodcast.com check us out on instagram twitter facebook make sure you sign up for the blast points super chill group on facebook it is 24 7 star wars celebration blast points style all day every day and if you really like the show you want to help us out we are on Patreon. You can sign up for the Patreon. You can help out the show. You can get some bonus episodes. We just had a Game of Thrones episode, and we have another commentary coming very soon. Yeah, I think just like, what, days after this episode comes out, there'll be a brand new commentary. It's going to be a commentary where I think anything goes. That's I think that's accurate. What, what could it be? <laughs> <laughs> I think that about wraps up episode 174 here. Secret history of Star Wars fanzines. Uh, thank you again to uh, Dr. Annalise Ophelian and Maggie Nawakoska for all the help with the research they gave us. Well, and, de- and definitely check out Looking for Leia when that comes out. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We're going to be back next week. And all in new episode (laughs) it's it's definitely going to be an episode so get get the clues for next week so all right thank you everyone bye-bye may the force be with you goodbye old friend may the force be with you
1: kid went into labor during the, uh, while she was watching the original Star Wars, uh, she and dad had the good taste not to name him Darth or Luke. But there is a Darth Vader here. Uh, Darth, you are an imposing figure by anybody's standards, but even though he's here, we have to have 18 New York cops and two sergeants to keep charge. Who are you really? Um. My name is Danny Fitzpatrick. I've been doing this kind of thing for years. You're not paid by the theater or anything. Oh, hell no. I just do it because I love it. All right. Meet a force. Be with all.